Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, thank you oh so much for the many, many blessings you've poured upon us this day. And now the blessed opportunity once again to get back into your word. Help us as we do that. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Continuing our Bible study of made a Z in the word healing, if you will turn to Luke in chapter 8, and we'll pick it up here in verse 41, where we see a, a couple more healings as it reads in Luke chapter 8, verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him or crowded about him, because he was outside in a big group of folks that was coming around, seeing the miracles and wanting things done by him, wanting to be healed or others to be healed for them. And we see this group, as they come in, another incident occurring right while he's interacting with Jarius in verse 43. And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched, or stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And you know good well he knew who touched him. You wonder, well, why did he say that? He said that to see if she would have the boldness and the faith and trust to go ahead and step up and express what had just happened. Verse 45 again, And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? Which we've spoke on before about how this was kind of rude of them in the way that they responded there. It continues, And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I have perceived that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace." He wanted her to express her faith in him and to acknowledge to all those around what had just happened. And then in verse 49, it gets back into the subject of Darius and the daughter of Darius. Verse 49, While he had spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. 
And he put them all out and took her by the hand and and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. So for two reasons he's cast everybody else out. Primarily because they didn't believe. And in secondary, he was trying to keep it a little bit quiet. Of course, the fame spread. The experiences that people had been going through were being shared with others. And more and more would come in. More and more wanting to be healed. More and more wanting something from the Lord. Alright, now go on over to chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, we see here another incident of an unclean spirit. And you can pick it up here in chapter 9 and verse 37 reads, And it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departed from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone, at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying." Right here, right at the end of that, he was giving them a bit of prophecy. A prophecy about the coming sacrifice he would make. The prophecy of his crucifixion and his resurrection. But they understood it not. Over and over he tells them. And then even when it happens, they don't comprehend it. They don't understand it. They don't believe it until they're able to actually see him and touch him. And, and then later, of course, they get healed with the Holy Ghost. And all of it comes back. All the information they're filled with the understanding of what the Lord had told them. All right, now turn on over to Luke in chapter 10. And here we see how he's instructing the, the 70, the disciples, as he sends them out two by two, and he gives them power and authority and the ability to be able to heal others. Note, it all comes from the Lord. Not from the disciples, but directly from the Lord. 
as we get into it in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as they is are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Notice in verse 10, Heal the sick, giving them the power and authority to share that healing, to share that power, to share that blessing that comes directly from the Lord, to be healed. As he continues, But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out of the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Korazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if a, if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. There's a lot going on here. He t sends them out, gives them power and authority to share the gospel, to share the healing, to share the good news of the coming of the Lord and of salvation. And yet you see some that are rejecting it. And he says, just wipe your feet from that, knock the dust off, and say it's on you. So that's an instruction and an example to us as well. When we go out into the world, when we go out, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're talking to others, and they turn us down, they reject us, they aren't actually rejecting or turning us personally down, they're rejecting the Lord. And acknowledge that. And there are some that we can just... Say, Lord, I'm giving them to you, I'm done with them, and go on to the next. There's some that you just try and try and try to reach, but they just continually reject. And it comes a time to 
say, okay, I'm done. I'm done dealing with you. I'm lift you up. Pray for them, yes. Give them to the Lord and let him deal with them or let him send somebody else that might be able to reach them. So in that, we know that they are not rejecting us. They're rejecting the Lord. And they'll lose out on the physical and the spiritual healing that is available. As it continues in verse 17, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. When we are out there and when we're doing work and we see things being done, we can be thankful that the Lord has let us see some of the fruits of our labor. But know that the thing to really rejoice about is what we have already received that is ahead for us as well as born-again Christians to look forward to being with the Lord for eternity, to look forward to all the many blessings. And then he also gives us opportunity to serve him, to work with him, to work for him. And he did that for them as well as he does and has available to all of us through the Great Commission to go out and spread the gospel, to go out and do the work of the Lord. All right, get right on into chapter 11, verse 14. We see some more instances of the casting out of these devils. In Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb, or he had made the individual not be able to speak. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. Which is awful. That was a horrible blasphemy. Proclaiming that the power of the Lord was actually the power of Satan. That he was working for the devil, not for God. But some of them said, and He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because he, ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he come, shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusteth and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. 
When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none. He, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in, and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Very interesting what he's pointing out here at the end of this section is that these unclean spirits that are cast out of those people, if they don't fill that void, if that place is empty, as he's pointing out there, findeth it swept and garnished, all cleaned out. Empty, basically. So it needs to be filled with something. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. This could indicate a reference to people that have, by their own power, or the assistance of other people, beyond the work of the Lord, have gotten rid of evil behavior, have gotten rid of, for instance, substance abuse, or some other addiction, and cleaned themselves all up, but had not turned to the Lord, changed their ways because of their own choices and maybe the influence of others around them, but not by the power of the Lord. And they have a void there. If they don't fill that void with the Holy Ghost by trusting in the Lord, then there's a potential for them to become even worse than they were to begin with. I'm sure many of us can testify to seeing others that have gone through this, even maybe ourselves in times past before we trusted in the Lord. We'll get rid of a bad habit, and for a while we're doing pretty good. But then next thing you know, we're back into that habit and a whole bunch more to go with it. I know individuals that I like to talk about that are exactly like that, that they of themselves have for a while, done things pretty good. And then next thing you know, they're worse than they ever were. It's like you speaking of there. They come in and even seven times worse than they were to start with. Because there's no dwelling spirit of the Holy Ghost in them with the no vacancy sign being held up. And these devils can't come back in. So we got to understand that when we trust in the Lord and He comes into us in the form of the Holy Ghost, that that we are filled with that and that nothing can come in. And another spirit cannot come in. An evil spirit cannot come in because the Holy Ghost is there. As I said, there's a no vacancy sign put up and they cannot return. They cannot come back. Does this mean that a person that's born again will never sin again and will never become addicted to another substance? No, because you still have the potential to invite them in yourself by building an addition onto your home. I say, okay, I got another place over here. Come on in, move on in, and link back up with Satan. We shouldn't do such things. All right, now turn over to uh, Luke chapter 13. We see here another healing of a woman in 
Luke chapter 13, picking it up in verse 11. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. She was stooped over. She was maybe scoliosis or something similar to that. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Notice here another example of how he reaches out to someone and calls them in and heals them. She did not seek him. She did not express faith or trust. He didn't ask her if she had a desire to be healed or if she had faith in him to be healed, but chose to, by grace and mercy, to reach out to her and heal her. Verse 12 again, And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, and in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Which is a horrible attitude to have. He said, The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Pointing out what a shameful attitude they had, that you could not do good on the Sabbath day and how they were so focused on trying to fulfill the letter of the law that they forgot the real heart of the law, the love that's supposed to be in there, the compassion, the mercy, and the knowledge of knowing that the law, the whole law, all of it, is designed for our benefit, to improve our lives, to improve our relationship with others, and our relationship with God. I turn on over to chapter 13 and verse 31. See another incident here. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. What kind of attitude we see here is that they were jealous. They did not like all the glory that the Lord was getting, all the attention that he was getting in the work that he was doing. They wanted all that attention. They wanted all that glory. So they wanted to get rid of him, so they're threatening him by saying that Herod was going to kill him. But it turns out, if you continue through the the history here, Herod was actually interested in seeing Jesus. When the Lord gets arrested, he asks that he 
perform a miracle in front of him. Of course, the Lord doesn't do that. But he wasn't eagerly sought a way of killing the Lord. That was the Pharisees who were doing that, not Herod. Not this particular Herod, I should say. As it continues in verse 32. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures to day and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doeth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and Verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So he told them he comes, and that he would be casting out devils and he would be curing others. And he told them to tell Herod that that's what he was going to be doing. And that got Herod's curiosity up. Herod wanted to see some of this happening. But Herod wasn't seeking to kill him like the Pharisees were saying. The Pharisees, they're the ones that were so jealous. They were envious and they were not truly of the Lord. They were hypocrites as he calls them. They were vipers. They were in it for their self. And we see way too much of that in the ministry people that have gotten into it just for their own selfish gain and they do things for themselves for their own glory to be praised and lifted up oh what a holy and righteous person look at all the work that he's able to do and and bless others but yet it's for themselves not for others it's truly a shame that there's so much of that that still goes on all right roll on into Luke chapter 14, where it reads, And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now, once again, they're watching to see if he's going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. They weren't watching to see a great miracle so they could rejoice in it. They were watching to find out if there was something else they could blame him for. Verse 3. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, which of you shall have an aswan ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to those things. Bringing up the same thing that he spoke of before when he healed that woman on the Sabbath day. And going back to verse 2 there, you see this condition which it says, And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. The dropsy is interpreted as a condition which today you might say edema. 
It was a fluid gain. It was a swelling condition. So like I say, a fluid retention and that in some cases like congestive heart failure could have been fatal for the man if it had not been healed. And the Lord saw that and he healed him on a Sabbath day displaying to them once again that he has power and authority over the Sabbath. All right, let's close there. We'll get back into it next time as we see him further continuing to heal, folks. It's awesome what he has recorded for us to be able to study and see the examples of the power of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for allowing us to be able to study these records, to see your power, to see the potential that we have to receive so many blessings from you and we thank you oh so much for all the mercy and the grace that you pour upon us each and every day thank you once again as we pray in jesus precious holy name amen thank you all